0: Good afternoon, everyone, and welcome to today's focus for Monday, November the 6th, 2023 at 1 11 p.m. Central Time. Now your today's focus, very simple, very short, Luke chapter 14, verses 12 through 14. Luke chapter fourteen verses twelve through fourteen. That is your today's focus. Well, we'll be, we will be throwing in a section of Romans here in a minute. Maybe I may be just mentioning it, but we're we're in Luke again, and I know some of you are saying. For crying out loud. Can you just get over it? Can you just move on? You've been in Luke chapter 14 now for way too long. You're not adding anything that is worthwhile. You're, you're probably just wasting your own time. You're wasting my time. Move on. But I can't move on. I cannot. I cannot. I am in Luke 14. I don't know when I'm leaving Luke 14, but th- it, again, this all started. It was so simple. It was, it was so innocent. I sit down here at this table to broadcast, and I look next to me, and there is the historical lectionary. I open up the lectionary. I'm like, you see, are we in the 29th week of Ordinary Time, 30th week of Ordinary Time, 31st week, I think 30th week of Ordinary Time is where I found it. I'm like, okay, what is the gospel reading for today? It's Luke chapter 14, starting in verse 1. And I'm like, oh, okay. So I read it, and I'm like, huh. What do I do with that? If if I was someone who has to preach the lectionary, what will I do? And just basically asking that question, what would I do, turned into now I've turned on the microphone over and over, and over again. I even spent an hour at church yesterday all about Luke chapter 14, and it's one of those situations that I, I guess I'm going to keep talking about it until maybe all of a sudden, you know, I, I have you ever been doing Bible study, and you just seem to be struggling, and just stud and you're kind of, you feel stuck, and you just don't, you're not getting something. And then all of a sudden you're like, oh, the lights come on. You're like, that's it. That's it. Okay, that's great. That's a brilliant point. That's awesome. That's amazing. They, and then you just like move on, move on, move on. Because you finally kind of got, I hate to use the term, but you finally broke through. You had a breakthrough. I, I know that that's used in, in some ways. I don't always like, you know, you you push in to get your breakthrough at some charismatic circles. I'm not talking about it that way, but you get a breakthrough in what you're studying. All of a sudden you realize Okay, I've got something here that I think is important. I think that even even if it's just a hypothesis, you think you've got something that's good. So far in Luke 14, I don't know if I've offered up anything worth your time, but the chapter is just, it just leaves me with much to to figure out. So the, the passage for today, according to the lectionary today, is Luke chapter 14, verses 12 through 14. very simple. It's very straightforward. Luke chapter 14, verses 12 through 14. Then said he also to him that bade him. Now, then said he, the he there is Jesus, also to him that bade him. He is speaking to the person who invited him. And the person who invited him to this dinner is found in Luke chapter 14, verse one. And it came to pass as he went into the house of the one of the chief Pharisees to eat bread. So then said he, Jesus, Also to him that bade him, Jesus is now speaking to the person who invited him to the person who invited a chief Pharisee. So he looks to this chief Pharisee and remember there's, uh, there's great animosity in a sense between Jesus and the Pharisees, but yet they invited him to come to a meal. Jesus is there. We could talk a lot. uh, We've talked a lot about that, but all of a sudden during this meal and during this ongoing conversation, Jesus looks to the person who invited him to the dinner. And in Jesus makes this statement, I quote, When thou makest a dinner or a supper, call not thy friends, nor thy brethren, neither thy kinsmen, nor thy rich neighbor, neighbors, plural, nor thy rich neighbors, lest they also bid thee again and a recompense be made thee. But when thou makest a feast, call the poor, the maimed, the lame, the blind. And thou shalt be blessed, for they cannot recompense thee, for thou shalt be recompensed at the resurrection of the just. That is your today's focus, Luke 14, verses 12 through 14. I want you to think about it. I want you to meditate on it. And I want you to figure out what to do with it. And I, I, I'm still trying to figure out this entire section, but we can summarize it this way. In Luke chapter 14, Jesus is invited to a dinner, to a meal at a chief Pharisee's home. And Jesus goes. And during this meal, instead of, you know, sometimes we think of a meal, you have the first course, the second course, the third course, maybe it's a four course meal. Well, in this meal, there's at least three courses. Maybe there's a fourth course. We could talk about how to outline this chapter. I tried to, I tried to get my congregation involved in the outlining process yesterday. It didn't really go very well. I gave them the first three points and tried to ask them about, do we make this a part of the third? Do we make it a fourth? And no one, everyone was very non-committal. Nobody wanted to commit. So you can look at it. But so I started breaking this down to really, you've got food, but there's not a lot of discussion about the food, but we have conversation and I'm breaking this conversation down as if each conversation is a course, right? Like a meal, right? And so the first course is in Luke 14, one through six. And it came to pass as he went into the house of one of the chief Pharisees to eat bread on the Sabbath day that they watched him. And behold, there was a certain man before him which had the dropsy. And Jesus answering spake unto the lawyers and Pharisees saying, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath day? So the first the force, the first course, the first course of this conversational meal is Jesus asking them, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath day? Jesus immediately takes this opportunity at this meal to talk about the Sabbath day. But is he really talking about the Sabbath day or is he talking about the people who invited him to the meal? Is he talking about the Pharisees? I'm becoming more convinced even though there's a part of me that wants to make it about the Sabbath day, because then I could possibly turn this into this beautiful spiritual picture where then Jesus is trying to explain to them the real meaning of the Sabbath day and how he fulfills the Sabbath and turn this into a beautiful picture. As much as I want to do that, when you read the entire course, all the, di- when you read all of the di- conversation that happened during this meal, this four course conversational mill, he seems to be using every opportunity to point towards the Pharisees themselves. So he immediately asked them, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath day? And of course, they, in verse four, they held their peace and he took him, uh, and, he took him and healed him and let him go. So they won't answer. Jesus immediately brings the person, heals the person and says, okay, you can go now. You're, you're free to go. You're free to go. Right? So then you think, okay, Jesus made his point, right? It's on the Sabbath day. It's on the Sabbath day. So he just made his point. Hey, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath day? You won't answer? Well, let me answer for you. He healed someone. Clearly, Jesus is saying it's lawful. So that should be the end of it. But then you have this weird verse in verse 5. And please note the first two words of verse 5. And answered them. Whoa, 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 wait. who is he answering? Who asked the question? Who said something? It says, and answered them. Now, I'm going to see if that same concept shows up in another in another translation. Now, you can look at all the English translations. We could do that right now. But I want to get to the, the text for today. But I'm just going to go back and look at this. Luke 14, and I'll look at verse 5. And it says, and to them he said. Now, that makes more sense. And to them he said. See, that doesn't say he answered them. The King James says answered, and it's almost like who's he's answering? Unless we know that Jesus knows what they're thinking. That he said, is it lawful? He already knows what they would say. They would say, no, it's not lawful to heal someone because that's work. Then he goes ahead and heals them, and then he looks at them and says, okay. Now, I I don't know how you want to read it. I don't know how you want to read it, but to me, he, he knows, he already knows their answer. And so, but then he says, He answered them, or he said to them, depending on the English translation you're using, which of you shall have an ass or an ox fallen into a pit and will not straightway pull him out on the Sabbath day? Now, the problem with this text here is there's no explanation. There's no application. It's just left right there. So to me, he seems to be going after the Pharisees. He seems to be going after the Pharisees for a possible lottery. Do they care more about their own rules than they do a person suffering? Do they care more about their own material wealth and property than they do another human being who's suffering? Is he going after their heart? Is he going after their motives? Is he going after their their law and their traditions? I. I don't know what exactly to do with this because I can start just throwing anything into it. But the text leaves it so like, I don't know what to do. And then it just ends. And they could not answer him again to these things. Verse 6, Luke 14, 6. And then that's all you have. So what what lesson am I to summarize Luke 14, 1 through 6 about? I could take this and we could go to Mark and we could talk about how Jesus condemns that they have basically supplemented the word of God with their own tradition and their own commandments and they're using their traditions and commandments to violate scripture. Have they so replaced the actual law of God with their own traditions that their own traditions now lead them to really disobey God's word because they're showing a complete lack of passion and love for their neighbor, for their fellow man. Is this an example where even as believers in our religiosity, in our desire for God, we almost create a system where we're actually violating the very system that we think we're protecting or defending? There, there's a lot there, and I don't know exactly what to do with it. There's no clear lesson, but that's the first course. The first course of this conversational meal is about the Sabbath day and healing. And I think it's about the Pharisees, and, and I don't know. But then the second course of the meal, the second course of this conversational meal is found in Luke 14, 7. And he put forth a parable to those which were bidden. And when he marked how they chose out of the chief room, saying unto them. Now, Jesus is sitting there. He looks around. He sees all the people that have been invited. And he noticed that they all want the chief seats. They want to be in the place of honor. So then Jesus uses this as an opportunity. And look what he starts in verse seven. When thou art bidden to uh of when thou art bidden of any man to a wedding, sit not down in the highest room, lest a more honorable man than thou be bidden of him. And he that bade thee and him come and say to thee, give this man place, and thou being uh be and thou begin with shame to take the lowest room. But when thou art bidden, go and sit down in the lowest room that When he that bade thee cometh, he may say unto thee, friend, go up higher, then shall thou have worship in the presence of them that sit at meat with thee. Now, this one is very simple, very straightforward story, very simple illustration. Hey, when you get invited somewhere, don't take the chief seat because you could be sitting there and someone could come up to you and go, hey, I'm sorry that seat is taken. And then you have to begin to walk away with shame and humiliation and you have to go walk way back to the back of the room, right? Never everyone's watching that you got removed from the seat of honor. He's like, no, go sit in the back of the room, sit in the place of humility, the place of dishonor, and then maybe you'll get called up to the front. All right, very simple. Now, I don't think it's a practical lesson about where to sit. I think this is, once again, I, I just think there's a theme developing here. He's going after their motives, their motivations, their motivation here is one of honor, one of recognition, one of prestige, one, one, they want to be seen. And in Jesus, now in this case, we have a clear, we have the clear lesson. Luke 14, 11, whosoever exalts himself shall be abased and he that humbleth himself shall be exalted. Stop, stop exalting yourself. Stop being motivated by your own self-exaltation. Stop being motivated by your own selfishness. Now, when you go, when you take this and go back to the first story, then in the first story is Jesus going up to the Pharisees saying, you know what? You care more about yourself and your own property than you do other people. Is that what Jesus is saying? I don't know because the first story doesn't give us an application. But the second story is clear. Stop exalting self. Humble self. You need to be humbled. You need to be humbled. How much of your life do you take a position of humility or do you tell, take a position of self-exaltation? What is your true motivation? What is your true motivation internally? What is your, think about it this say? what is your true motivation religiously? Is your true motivation religiously just to condemn people, exalt self, and to put people down, or is it to care about people, love people, and put, pick other people up? Right? I, I, because that seems to be Luke 14, that their own rules and laws. They would choose a, a, a donkey or an ox over a person. Right? I, I, I don't know how you apply that to the first part. But the second part is, hey, why do you always want to make it about you, 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 you? What you want, you want. What you want, you want. No. Humble yourself. Right? We need to be humbled. Now, that brings us to today's text. Luke 14, 12. Then said he also to the... This is course number three. Course number three of this conversational mill. Course number one, about healing in the Sabbath. Course number two, about where to sit. Right? Or you could say about humbling yourself or exalting yourself. And then course number three is this. When thou makest a dinner or a supper, call not thy friends, nor thy brethren, neither thy kinsmen, nor thy rich neighbors, lest they also bid thee again and recompense be made thee. But when thou makest a feast, call the poor, the maimed, the lame, the blind, and thou shalt be blessed for they cannot recompense thee for thou shalt be recompensed at the resurrection of the just. Now, this is course number three about who do you invite to your, your your parties, your get-togethers, your fellowship meals. Jesus says, stop inviting your friends. Stop inviting people who are rich. Stop inviting people who it only benefits you. You know, if I invite them, they will invite me. They, if I do all of this for them, they will do all of this for me. There will be recompense. There will be repayment. So in other words, what is your real motive in bringing these people together for your own enjoyment, your own exaltation, and with an eye knowing you will be recompensed, you will be paid back? He says, don't do that. Don't do that. Don't do that. Go after the people who cannot repay you. Now, guess what? When you're going after people who can't repay you, you're you're humbling yourself. You're not exalting yourself because you're going to lose out you're not going to get paid back. But then he throws in something here. For thou shall be recompensed at the resurrection of the just. Now, is this, what, what, can, what is the lesson in this? Is the lesson, are there two lessons here? Is lesson number one That we have to actually check our motivation for what we do because sometimes our motivation is really about getting paid back or getting something. We're doing something that appears good, but we're doing it for our own selfish self-exaltation, for our own benefit. Like knowing your motivation for something is one of the most difficult things about life. Like you can do action A, but you're only doing it to get B. You're, you, there's always ulterior motives at work. What is your motivation in anything you do? What is your motivation? What are you really trying to do? Is the motivation here, I'm, I appear to be doing all the right things, but I'm doing all the right things for the very wrong reasons. But people can only see the right things. They can't see the wrong reasons. And is Jesus trying to expose to them their wrong reasons, that they are doing it for selfish reasons. Is that, is that the first lesson today? So the first lesson would be, do, do, do you ever take the time to consider your motivations? Now, when you put your motivations before a holy God, you will be humbled. You will be broken and you will be crushed. And you will realize that in and of myself, I fall short of God's standard. Therefore, I need Christ. And I need his grace. But we need to sometimes, do we really know our motivations? Do we really know them? Do we really, really know what's driving us? What's what's the motivating factor? What's really leading me to do this action? Sometimes good actions are done for wrong motives. And, and God, Jesus here is going after the very motivation of inviting people to a dinner. You would think that that looks good. They're inviting people to a dinner. Why are you condemning that? But they're doing it appears for the wrong reason, for a selfish reason, for, for maybe a self-exaltation reason. But there, is there a second thing going on here? Because he also mentions, bring in these people who can't pay you back. Thou shalt be blessed, for they cannot recompense thee, for thou shalt be recompensed at the resurrection of the just. Is he going after? What do you care mo- more about? Material, temporal, fleshly benefit. Being seen by men. People think you put on a great party. And you know they're gonna recompense you, pay you back in some way, shape, or form. I mean, if you've got good rich friends and you keep doing wonderful things for those rich friends, who knows when those rich friends may turn around and do something good for you? Do you care more about what is physical, material, and fleshly? Or do you keep your eyes set on that which is spiritual? That you care more about spiritual blessing. You care more about eternity because they he, he that really that last phrase there at Luke 4, because if you think about it. And course number one, okay, if we really think, and, and, and remember, we're breaking this. He's at a meal. We're breaking these down into courses. We're calling these conversational uh, conversational courses of the meal, right? Conversational courses for the meal, right? you got the first course, second course, third course, and and food. Well, here's the first conversational uh, course for this meal. That's Luke 14, 1 through 6. And it, since it doesn't really summarize a lesson, then is the lesson this? Which of you have not an ass or an ox fallen into a pit? will not straightforward pull him out on the Sabbath day. Is that the, the Is the real lesson here in 14:6 that you care more about the physical, the material and the fleshly than you do the spiritual, even though you're putting forth the idea, of the spiritual. In other words, you care more about that than you do people suffering. Is that, is that possible? I don't know. I still don't know if that works. The second lesson, the second course of this conversational meal is very simple. It's in Luke 14, 11. For whosoever exalteth himself shall be abased, and he that humbleth himself shall be exalted. All right, that's right there. That's simple. There you go. I think verse 11 may be the key. Right there, though, is the uh, the second course of this conversational meal. There is the, the basic lesson of it. It's right there. Now, in today's text, 12 through 14, The the summary, the lesson has to be, you will be blessed for they cannot recompense thee. Meaning you're going to be blessed, but it's going to be a spiritual blessing. It can't be a fleshly material uh, blessing. It can't be fleshly. It can't be material. It can't be of this world. And you will be recompensed at the resurrection of the just. So is the, is the lesson here? What is your real motivation? But is the, the, is the lesson really here for today's reading is this? What do you care more about? The material, the physical, the fleshly? Or do you care more about the spiritual? Do you care more about the eternal? Do you care more about the things that relate to the kingdom of God? Or all you can see right now is what you want. So you you are motivated by what you want fleshly, materially, of this world, when you should be motivated, but that which is spiritual, eternal, and of the kingdom of God. Is that the issue in Luke 14, 12 through 14? It goes by so quick. There's only a couple of verses, but that seems to be the motivation here. What are you motivated by? What are you motivated? What is the drive? If you were to try to strip away your entire life and like, what is your key? If you were to today, spend today focusing on identifying your key motivator in life, your, what is your number one motivator in life? Now I know what you're supposed to say. It is God. God is my number one motivator. I know we know to say that, but I'm saying if you really, you know, you're like, okay, shh, 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 shh. nobody's looking, nobody's looking. It's just me and you. Oh, come on, come on, get closer. Come on, get closer to your device. Tell me, tell me. Come on. you can whisper it. What is your number one motivator? Come on, tell me. What is it? Oh, that doesn't sound so good. Oh, you got to be kidding me. We shouldn't tell anyone that. Come on. What is your real motivator? What is your real motivation? Is all of this about the Pharisees motivations? That their motivation is always worldly, fleshly. It's always about self-exaltation. And, when, and Jesus goes after a, something very simple. The next time you invite someone, don't invite all of these people. Invite people who are, as he puts it, invite the poor, the maimed, the lame, the blind. They can't do anything for you. They're not going to pay you back. They're not going to do anything for you. It may be even uncomfortable inviting all of these people. But if you really are motivated by the spiritual, the eternal, the kingdom of God, then you won't have a problem with this. Is Jesus going after the Pharisees' motivation in all three courses of this conversational meal? What are you truly motivated by? Now, I do think the lectionary, I don't know if it intended, but something interesting is going on here. Because if you look at the lectionary readings for the last couple of days, guess what they have contrasted with Luke 14? They have been in Romans chapter 11. Romans chapter 11. And I think that this is fascinating to me. All right, because they've been using Romans chapter 11. And if you start reading about Romans, if you start reading Romans chapter 11, you'll know that there's a major theme emerges emerging in Romans chapter 11. So I'm just going to start in verse 1 and just going to read through this and just see how if you think there's a correlation. Look, I think there's a correlation between Luke 14 and Matthew 23, between Luke 14 and Matthew 23. I didn't go back to Matthew 23 today, but if you were following the historical lectionary, The gospel reading for yesterday was Matthew 23, which fits perfectly with Luke 14. You should explore that more, right? And I asked you to do that today in the Bible Pop Quiz podcast. But now I want you to consider Luke 14 and Romans 11 and see, uh, because I didn't even think about this until today, but let me just start reading. Romans chapter 11, verse 1. I say then, hath God cast away his people? God forbid, for also am I... Ah, for I also am an Israelite of the seed of Abraham of the tribe of Benjamin. God hath not cast away his people, which he foreknew. What ye not, what the scripture saith of Elias, how he maketh intercession to God against Israel, saying, Lord, they have killed thy prophets, and dig down thine altars, and I am left alone, and they seeketh my life. But what saith the answer of God unto him? I have reserved to myself seven thousand men who have not bowed the knee to the image of Beal. Even so then, at this present time also there is a remnant according to the election of grace. And if by grace, then it is no more of works, otherwise grace is no more grace, but it be of works, then it is no more uh then is no more grace, otherwise work is no more work. Bottom line is God is not done with Israel, and He's not done with Israel because of what they've done, it's because of grace, because of election. And then look at what happens, verse 7. What then? Israel hath not obtained that which it seeketh for, but the election hath obtained it, and the rest were blinded. All right. So they have obtained this rest. They have obtained this grace, not because they deserved it, but because of election. All right. God chose Israel. According as it is written, God hath given them the spirit of slumber, eyes that should not see, and ears that they should not hear unto this day. Now there's the blind. There's the blind or oh, some people have been blinded. Okay. All right. Interesting. Interesting. All right. Note. And David said, let their table be made a snare and a trap and a stumbling block and a recompense unto them. Lest their eyes be darkened that they may not see and bow down their back, uh, their, their back. Oh, all way. I say, then, Have they stumbled that they should fail? God forbid. Rather, through their fall, salvation has come unto the Gentiles for to provoke them to jealousy. Now, get this picture. If you talk to the Jews, who were the blind? Who were the maimed? Who were the sick? Who were the dogs? Those were the Gentiles. They're out there. We want nothing. We don't even want to eat with a Gentile. We don't want to even eat to a Gentile. We don't want to even eat with them in any way, shape, or form. And Jesus comes along and says, hey, the next time you have a get together, invite those kinds of people. Someone just said, so blinded and elected. Yes. Okay. So just so that uh, someone uh, understands, just the person asking this question in the chat may already understand this. So this may be redundant, but I'm going to explain it. We are elected before the foundations of the world, yet we can go through a long period of time of being blinded and, you know, we're lost until then God saves us. God regenerates us and saves us. So Israel, though elected as a nation, chosen as a nation, they, because of their constant sin and rebellion, God blinds them, places them in darkness for the Gentiles to come in, then God goes back to Israel, if our understanding of eschatology is correct right? So they're elected, but they're going to be blinded for a period of time. And then the text will go on to say all Israel will be saved. So if we're to, if our eschatology is correct, and I, I know not everyone believed that eschatology is correct, and that God never chose the nation of Israel. He chose spiritual Israel, which is the church. And well, we could go all day on all of that. But the point is, I think that it's interesting that Romans 11 and Luke 14 are used together in the lectionary. Because in a roundabout way, Jesus is like, hey, Hey guys, hey guys, go invite those kinds of people. What What is your motivation? Is your motivation on, go invite them. Well, remember the Jews never wanted to invite the Gentiles in many cases. They wanted nothing to do with them. But but you're being blinded and set aside for them to come in. And guess what? The Pharisees demonstrate their blindness over and over and over and over and over. They're blind to the one they're sitting with. They're blind that the Messiah has come. They are blinded. And it's the Gentiles who believe. So Jesus says to invite them in. And then look what happens. All right. Um, Now, if the fall of them be of the riches of the world and the diminishing of them, the riches of the Gentiles, how much more their fullness? For I speak to you Gentiles. And so much as I'm the apostle of the Gentiles, uh, I magnify my office. And so then he begins talking to the Gentiles and then the Gentiles will be brought in. And then at some point, Israel will be saved. All right, and we could uh, go here, and we could keep reading, um, and we could we could go through all of this, and we could see. But I just think it's interesting that this text, Luke fourteen, is connected with Romans eleven, which is all about Israel being set aside and the Gentiles being brought in. And then Jesus is like, "Hey, the next time you invite people there, and then if you go to the end of Luke fourteen to the next part of the meal." The conversational mill, look what happens. And you tell me if you see, uh, if this fits perfectly with Romans 11. I want to go back and read more of Romans 11. Maybe I'll do that if I can find Luke 14 again. Here we go, Luke 14. All right, so course number one of the conversational mill is Luke 14, 1 through 6. And this seems to demonstrate, at least in part, the you can talk about the Pharisees, maybe their attitude, that they, they are so focused on the material wealth that they don't care about people suffering, but it also may show how they have been blinded to the word of God by their own traditions, right? Possibly, you, could, you can see what you want to do with Luke 14, one through six. The second part is very simple, all right? Hey, stop, you, all you do is exalt yourself. But guess what? Whoever exalteth themselves shall be abased and he that humbleth himself shall be exalted. You need to, you need to be humbled. All right. So we know the lesson right there. And, and Israel and the Pharisees were arrogant thinking that they, Hey, we're, we're children of Abraham. Nothing can ever, and they could not see their own spiritual blindness. They were blinded. They were hypocrites. They were self-righteous and they needed to be humbled and needed. So uh, before they can be exalted and they're going to be humbled because God blinds Israel and sets them aside and brings in the Gentiles. Right. Then the second part or the third part is, Hey, when you, when you invite people to your feast, stop inviting everyone who can re- recompense you. Invite the people who are maimed, who are lame, who are blind, who are poor, because your focus needs to be on the spiritual, not the material, the fleshly, the, 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 the worldly. You need to be focused on that which is spiritual and godly. And they were not doing that. But to me, this fits perfectly with Romans 11, because Israel, Israel, you need to be focused on that, which is spiritual, but they're focused on what is fleshly. And so they don't realize the Gentiles are being brought in. And then look, does this not fit perfect? Does this not fit perfect with what happens starting in verse 16? Luke fourteen sixteen, a certain man made a great supper and bade many, and he sent his servant a supper time to say to them that are bidden, come for all things are now ready. And they all with one consent began to make excuse. For first they said unto him, I have bought a piece of ground. I must needs go and see it. I pray thee, uh, have me excuse. Another said, I have bought five yoke of oxen. I go to prove them. I pray thee, have me excused. Another said, I'm married. I cannot come. So that servant came and showed his Lord these things. Then the master of the house being angry said to the servant, Go out quickly into the street and lanes of the city and bring in hither the poor, the main, the halt, and the blind. It seems that the first group of people represents possibly Israel who will not listen because they've been blinded. They refuse. They're blinded. They're set aside and then go and bring in the Gentiles and the Gentiles are coming in, which I think fits Romans chapter 11. Romans chapter 11, which I'm going to go back to Romans chapter 11. All right, I'm gonna to go to back to verse 12, for I speak to you Gentiles, and so much as I'm the apostle of the Gentiles, I magnify mine office. If by any means I may prove to uh, emulation them which are my flesh and might save some of them. For if the casting away of them be the reconciling of the world, what shall be the receiving of them be, but life from the dead. For if the first fruit be holy, the lump is holy also. And if the root be holy, so are the branches. And if some of the branches be broken off though, being a wild olive tree were grafted in among them and with them partakers of the partakest of the root and the fatness of the olive tree. Who is the wild olive tree grafted in? Those are the Gentiles being brought in. The poor, the maimed, the the blind, they're being brought in. Um, And then he goes on to say, boast not against the branches, but if thou boast, thou bearest not the root, but the root thee. Thou will say then, the branches were broken off that I might be grafted in. Well, because of the unbelief they were broken off, and thou standest by faith. Be not high-minded, but fear. Right. So in other words, hey, don't be all arrogant. Don't don't be exalting yourself. Don't fall into the same trap the 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 Jews fell into. Don't exalt yourself. Humble yourself, right? For if God spare not the natural branch, take uh, take heed, lest He also spare thee not. Uh, spare not thee. Behold, therefore, the goodness and the severity of God on them which fell. Severity, but towards thee, goodness. If thou continue in His goodness, otherwise thou shalt also be cut off. And they also, if they abide not still in unbelief, should be grafted in, for God is able to graft them in again. For if thou were cut out of the olive tree, which is walled by nature, and were grafted contrary to nature into a good olive tree, how much more shall they which be the natural branches, be grafted into their own olive tree. For I would not, uh, brethren, lest you should be ignorant of this mystery, lest you should be wise in your own conceit, that blindness in part is happened to Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles be come in. Hey, they're blinded temporarily until the Gentiles come in. Who are the Gentiles? Those are the ones that are supposed to be invited in now. Bring them in. They can't re- re- recompense you. They have nothing to offer you. But that's where spiritual blessing will come from, right? And, and then look at verse 26, and so all Israel shall be saved. You're set aside until the Gentiles come in, then all Israel will be saved because God does not forget his promises. But I just think there's a core. I think I'm not saying the lectionary d- designed this historically, but you look at Romans 11 and Luke 14, you look at Luke 14 and Matthew 23, I think it starts forming a beautiful kind of picture. But in Luke 14, we have these conversational courses for the mill, right? And I asked the people at at Victory Baptist Church, they did not say yesterday, but verses 1 through 6 is course number one of the conversational mill. There's no question. Luke 14, 1 through 6. That's course number one of the conversational mill. The course number two of the conversational mill is Luke 14, 7 through 11, The third course is Luke 14, 12 through 15. Now, what do you do with 16 through 24? Do you make it the fourth course? Do you add it to the third course? What do you do? No one's given me a good answer yet, but I'll leave it there for you. But but you take all of that and connect it to Romans 11 and Matthew 23. I think something starts to come together. I'll leave it in your capable hands. And that is your today's focus. For Monday, November the 6th, 2023. And I think the challenge is today, at least in part, is what is your motivation? Is your motivation on that which is material, fleshly, worldly, selfish? Is that what's really motivating you? Or is your motivation that which is spiritual, eternal, a part of the kingdom of God. What is your number one motivator in life? What is truly motivating you? I think there's a lesson there today. And I want you to focus on that. And I want you to meditate, not only on Luke 14, but Romans 11 and Matthew 23. And I would love for you to share your thoughts and what you find in your time of, mo- of meditation. Uh, uh, and you can email that to me, newsif at yahoo.com. That's newsif at yahoo.com. Thank you so much for listening and may God bless you as you meditate on his word.